Welcome, listeners, to another Transformation Church Sermon Podcast. Let's prepare our hearts to receive the Word of God. Come on, what a story. Aren't you thankful for life change? Come on, why don't you give God some praise if He changed your life in any way? Come on, God, thank you for changing our life. Thank you for running down your rebellious kids. Thank you that your story is a love story. It's a scandal. It's a relentless pursuit of those that have been wayward and running, and you came after us, and you got us, and we just give you glory and praise. Lord, we thank you that life change is going to continue, that Jesus, you are changing lives today, and that you can do miracles right now, that you're here and anything can happen, that we don't gather around principles, we don't gather around philosophies today, we, are, we gather around a person named Jesus, Holy Spirit. Make Jesus real and alive. Holy Spirit, spotlight who he is today in a greater way. Jesus, show us the Father. Show us all his facets and all his love for us so we can know a good, good Father. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. It is good to be in God's house. All things are right in the world. UT won. Alabama lost. I, I just, I, you know, you've heard me say it, but my, my, my mother and uh, her husband love all things SEC. They're South Carolina fans, so they're a little upset today. Uh, but they, you know, they say, well, don't you root for an SEC team? Like, you got to root for Alabama when, when, you know, UT's not playing. And I'm like, you know, that's like rooting for Satan just because he's in the Bible. I'm not, I'm not doing it. I can't do it. And so um, I know I'm probably upsetting some Alabama people, but uh, too bad. We love you. I am going to jump into, um, for the next uh, 40 minutes, 35 minutes, I'm going to jump into a a topic. We're in a series called Fire Away, and so this series, we've been taking questions. I've been taking your questions and just kind of answering from a biblical standpoint, um, really bringing the Bible. I believe in this hour, we need the Bible more than ever in our culture, in our world as believers. We need truth and we need love. We need both. And so um, I'm going to answer some questions today on sexuality um, the LGBT community, a lot of questions came in about that. Um, I'm going to tackle just that, not just that community, but I'm going to tackle uh, biblical purity and godly sexuality and what that looks like. Um, it is important. Progressivism, biblically and politically, is obsessed with sex. Obsessed with sex. Our culture is obsessed with sex. Sex is probably the largest, uh, most single issue that has shaped uh, culture for the last hundred years, sex. Um, so, Uh, I think it's important to look at and see what God says about sex. Here's some thoughts ingrained in culture right now about sex. And again, as I teach today, you know, again, you guys have asked these questions. Uh, This isn't our normal format of me preaching and and teaching, but I think the Holy Spirit's on this. And so um, I'm not trying to divide. I'm not trying to hurt feelings. I'm trying to give us the word of God and um, if we're believers, uh, we need the word of God, and, and I'm not trying to give you my, my opinion. I'm going to look at some cultural, historical documentation. I'm going to look at scripture. I'm going to look at some things that aren't and some things that are. And so let me just pray real quick before I jump in. Father, help us, help me, and uh, give us just eyes to see, ears to hear. We want you and nothing else. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, here, here's what's ingrained in culture. Let me just say this as well. If you've got kids in here, this is probably, uh, it is a message about sex. And so um, if you aren't comfortable with that, you know, I just need to give you kind of, your kids have probably heard everything more than you can imagine, but I just want to give you that, that, that disclaimer right now, just up front, because I don't want any emails. <laughs> you know, I want to let you know we're talking about sex and we're talking about, you know, um, some different things in that topic. So, um, 
sex. Ingrained in culture is this. Uh, one should be allowed to have sex with whoever you want, whenever you want, without any consequences at all. That's what's ingrained in culture. One should be able to have sex with whoever you want, whenever you want, without any consequences at all. It's, that's the height of selfishness. It's the, it's the height of, of a flower of the sexual age. I do whatever I want with, with whoever, I, whoever I want, whenever I want. And that's just not the Bible. It's just not Christianity. Uh, Christianity is, is actually in contrast, total contrast to those three ideas. Uh, it's in total contrast. It's very specific. Uh, Christianity and God says, I want you to have sex with, with one person. And I want that to be uh, not with whoever you want. And there is going to be a fruit of that, of that uh, endeavor. You know, it's called children. I remember a guy years ago, he was up praying. He and his wife had like five kids. And he's like praying, you know, God, give us no more children. And we're like, you know, are you on birth control? He's like, no. And like, well, whatever a man sows, he shall reap. You know what I'm saying? As you, you, you can't like claim, you can't claim promises and violate principles. Come on, come on. You, we all, we, we want to violate the principles of the Bible, but get all the promises of God. It doesn't work that way. So if you're going to sow, you're going to sow seed, you're going to get children, right? So, so God says, I want you to have sex with one person specific, not whoever you want. And there's going to be fruit of that. And that's part of design. Um, culture is obsessed with sexual identity. Obsessed with it, obsessed with how many genders there are and, and all these things. Can I just say, let me just say this to you. That is not liberality. That is not liberation. God is into liberation. Jesus is into liberation. His scriptures give, give us liberation. And we're called as Christians and as pastors and as leaders to teach people to flourish within reality. Amen. We're called to teach people how to flourish in the context of biblical reality and the reality of life. This isn't judgmental. It's just we are called God's kids. We're in his creation. Culture wants us to think this. Anything, this is what culture says. If we believe or we speak out or we're anything contrary to what secular culture or secular Hollywood or whatever these media views are, if we, if we say something different, then they say we're actually trying to hurt people. And so there's become this new morality or this new normal morality. And the morality is this, don't ever make anyone feel bad or don't ever disagree with someone else's views or step on their toes. And it's just not biblical. And so, so sexual disagreement has become the taboo of all taboos for Christians. And so, and it's just, it's just become taboo. And again, listen to me, let me, let me get through the whole, let me get through the whole message. There's, there's, I'm gonna speak to every all of us, not just, I'm not picking on any people. I promise, this isn't about one people group. This is about humanity. This is about all of us. Can you hear me in that? There's a great book by a man um, named, uh, I think it's named Joseph, um, uh, Joseph Sprinkle, and it's called A People to Be Loved. And so um, I'll, I'll give you a better reference to that in a little bit. But, but sexual identity and the obsession with that it has to be looked at and, and looked at through the biblical uh, viewpoint of the gospel. Here's what's happened with the gospel. The gospel has become um, just a therapeutic gospel. And so what happens is if the gospel is just merely therapeutic, then, all, then it's not allowed to um, hurt our feelings, or it's not allowed to step on our toes, or it's not allowed to, to touch areas of our life. It, it's, it's fine, and it can find me, and it can and it help me with therapy, but it can't ask me to change or make any difference in my life. And that's just, again, not the gospel. The gospel teaches a cross. A cross. 
And so, and so Jesus, we preach Jesus' cross, but God says we have a cross, and a cross is painful. A cross has suffering. A cross has crucifixion. A cross calls us to kill some stuff. And, and we're a new creation, and so the new you is the true you, but the reality is there's still flesh present, and there's still that flesh is where sin is, and so we're called to crucify. We want resurrection power, but resurrection comes after we bury, and after we crucify, and after we suffer, and after some things have to be put to death. And so in the cross, there is a picture of us killing our flesh, and can I just tell you, I have to kill my flesh daily, and my flesh doesn't like it. And so here's, here's some thoughts about um, a sexual theology. We need a sexual theology like never before, and we need to articulate it with mercy, with grace, with boldness, and with confidence. And here's three thoughts you can write down that just are real, and you need to get this as a, Christian, as a believer in Christ. You need to get this in your heart and mind and confess it to yourself over and over in order to continue to make a difference in this area in your own life and the world. Number one, God's way will make people happier. God's way will make you happy. Holiness and purity will make you happier. That God is not against you, that God doesn't oppose you, that God doesn't want you to give up something in your life and the rest of your life is gonna suck, that God's way actually will make you happier. That, that sin feels good for a moment and for a season, but the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Sin pays death. And so, and so that God's way actually makes people feel better. It makes you happier. Number two, Holy Spirit can give people the power to be transformed. Holy Spirit can give us the power to be transformed in these areas of sexuality. It can. And so we apologize for sexual truth. We shouldn't. We believe the Holy Spirit can change and repentance can come. And in the book of Acts, it says they repented and times of refreshing came from God. That repentance brings times of refreshing. We, don't, we need grace that changes things. And number three, sin is against God. It's against God. David in Psalm 52 said, I've sinned against you and you alone. Like somehow we have to get in our heart that our flesh is rebellious and it's, it's hurtful and it, it pains God and he loves us and there's grace. But when we sin and when we walk in continual rebellious sin, it pains and hurts God. So I'm going to go into some thoughts about homosexuality. Then I'm going to go into some thoughts about sexuality and just, and just you know, about you know, being gay, being straight, and a lot of those different thoughts. Homosexuality. Here's what the Bible says. The man's name is Preston Sprinkle, and the book is called People to be Loved. So, so let me go to the beginning in Genesis 2.18. It says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone, and I will make him a helper comparable for him or, or, or fit to him. One, one translation says fit for him. One says comparable for him. It goes on and, and talks about putting Adam to sleep and then that God made woman out of man. And then verse 24 says this, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. One flesh doesn't just mean sex. It means just unity and in union to fulfill God's will. Two times in Genesis, it says that God could not find a helper fit or comparable for man. A helper, the word helper is Ezer. It doesn't mean like helper, like you know the little menial tasks around the house. Like, oh, she's the helper. That's not what it means. 
It, it actually, the words used for God throughout the Old Testament, the word Ezer is the word we get, and it actually means it, that he will find one, like the Holy Spirit. The word Holy Spirit is translated Ezer in different parts of the Old Testament. Literally, so the wife is, is like Holy Spirit union and power and strength, helping and working together to complete God's vision and mission. Does that make sense? Uh, but the word comparable to him is konegdo. And so it means opposite of him, but the same. Opposite, but the same. The same, but against. So the word literally means of the same kind, the same species, because everything else was animals, of the same species, but opposite of him biologically. And so that, that, that we're getting the foundation of what marriage looks like biblically in Jesus' eyes. How do we know Jesus affirmed this? Because when Jesus was asked about this in, 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 in the book of Mark about marriage, he was asked, he says, what do you think about divorce? And Jesus goes back to this passage. I'm gonna talk about divorce in another topic. And listen, if you've been divorced, no shame on you, shame off of you. God loves you. You could be remarried. You can, you can be, you know, come on. I, I, we're gonna get into that whole topic. That's, a, that's hurt so many people. There's, there, you know, I just, and again, let me, hear, let me say this. All the topics I'm teaching today, the Bible's highest pinnacle is redemption, not judgment. Restor, restoration and love. And so I want you to hear my heart in that. Jesus quotes that when they say, what do you think about divorce? He says, verse six, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined, what God does, what God designed, let no man separate. And so Jesus thinks it a big deal with biological differences. He says it's actually a prerequisite for marriage. And he, and he, and he goes back to that. And Jesus, God himself, this is not therapy. This is God himself talking to us about marriage. So let me go into some thoughts about um, uh, sexuality and some things in Genesis, what we shouldn't do. Many people go to Sodom and Gomorrah and use Genesis 19 as an argument against um, homosexuality or, or, or gay sex. And so what I, what I want to say, if you know the story about Sodom and Gomorrah, that story, um, angels came down and were with Lot. And these men from in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah surrounded Lot's house and wanted to have sex with the male angels. They were beautiful men, and they wanted to have sex with these male angels. And they said, give us these angels. And Lot said, God forbid, take my daughters. They're virgins. They weren't virgins. Lot was lying. He was trying to buy time. His daughters were married. He says, take my daughters instead. And so you know the story. They, the, all the men in the city went blind, and, and all this happened. So many people in very harmful communities have taught this passage about Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah to be against homosexuality. This passage has nothing to do with homosexuality. This, this passage has something to do with gang rape. This passage, so, so don't use this passage because this passage is painful. Like this is a and it's not applicable, right? And so, so this doesn't speak to anything about, you know, monogamous, loving, consensual, gay sex. It doesn't. This speaks to something totally different. Leviticus 18.22 talks to us about a man shall not lie with a man. Verse 22, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Verse 20, 13, chapter 20, verse 13 says, and you can be stoned for it. So let me just say this. The Old Testament was harsh, man. Like you could be stoned for disobeying your parents. Like you get stoned for everything. And so, and so what it's saying is here, this is a harsh testament. But the New Testament, let me just say this. The New Testament can teach something is wrong and remove stoning from its, from its consequences. Does that make sense? And so we can still, there's, there's some things that are wrong. And the New Testament doesn't carry a death sentence. The civil law was harsh. 
And so what, what's happening here in this verse in Leviticus, many, and I'm going to give you kind of some arguments to give you the other side and the other picture. Many people in the LGBT community teach Leviticus is actually only speaking to um, exploitive relationships. When it says that men shall not have sex with men there, they're saying that's only exploitive relationships. And, and as long as it's monogamous and consensual and loving, then it's okay. And so when you look at this passage, that this is not, there was not evidence that this is speaking to exploitive sexual relationships. The evidence in this is only speak, it's speaking overarchingly to, uh, uh, you know, and, and authoritatively to all, every facet, not just, not just um, one facet. What they taught was, and what they teach is, that if male sex feminizes the other male, then that's wrong in God's eyes. That's not what this is speaking to. This literally, Paul is actually building and uses this as a sex, sexual ethic in the New Testament. And so this really encompasses all male-to-male sex, not just exploitive. And if you would look and read the passages, everything else in the context of these passages, like the other commands we get, we still follow them to this day. Don't have sex with animals. Amen. (laughs) You wonder why he had to say it. (laughs) Oh, God help us, because we're messed up people. Don't have sex with family members. Amen. <laughs> and, and then, you know, males don't lie with males. We follow certain things, but then we pick. So, so this is still applying. Let me, let me get into history. There were many historical rules and laws in, in, when it came to gay sex. And so it was very interesting. Um, in the Assyrian culture, Assyrian laws, there was these strict rules in society where if you were a certain level of male in society, you were allowed to penetrate the lower level of male. But if you were a lower level of male and you penetrated the higher level, like the higher in standing, then that male could actually lose his property. So there was these weird laws about, about sexual relations. And so there was this, this weird cultural sexually. And then the same in the Greco, uh, in the a Greco-Roman world, so it was very documented that it wasn't as many laws about who could have sex with who, who but there was a very centralized culture, or uh, centralized or sexual culture, and, but they were very big about uh, masculinity and identity, gender identity, not so much like what hierarchy you could have sex with, but just like you could have sex with all different types of people, and it, it was very normal to have men with boys and men with men, and, and there was a lot of exploitive relationships. I'm going somewhere with this. Just follow me. There was a lot of exploitive relationships, and so, so we see that. So many people teach today's age in, in the progressive thought is that Paul wasn't speaking to, um, to monogamous, loving Gay, gay sex or gay people because Paul didn't have an understanding of that type of, of situation because everything that was known was only exploitive. Does that make sense? So Paul's commands and Jesus' commands were only against exploitation. And, and when you look, some of that is true, but there is some evidence. There is evidence. So when Paul's speaking, let me say what, what I mean is true. Paul is speaking not only to exploitive relationships. Paul is speaking to overarching sexuality, right? And so Paul, there is evidence historically that, that monogamous gay relationships existed. They did. In, in culture, in poems, in writings, um, there was many um, lesbian marriages. We see that. You know, cult uh, defines culture. You look at Hollywood, and, the, and cult just means beliefs, ideas. Cult defines culture. Culture is downstream from cult, so cult flows into culture. So as we look at the historical writings, we see culture and their poems and their plays and those kind of things influencing culture. Does that make sense? So Paul 
and speaking to, and he would understand monogamous sexual relationships between males and males and, and women and women. Jesus um, goes and he improves on the Mosaic law. When I say that, I mean he gets, he fulfills it and he removes stoning and death penalty from breaking the law. And he says, there's redemption, there's forgiveness. Come on, it was radical. There's blessing, there's, there's God can get involved. Um, but he didn't make a light deal of it. He didn't sidestep it and not call it sin. He didn't say, oh, it's no big deal. He says we can be forgiven, and that's radical. Romans chapter 1. Y'all tracking with me? Romans chapter 1, the New Testament. This is the first place in Romans 1 that ever speaks of female homoeroticism. That's the only place um, that it's mentioned in Scripture. And it's a big deal because we do know that there were very, um, that there were no female exploitive relationships that way. If we look at culture, we look at the Bible, there was no female homoerotic exploitation. So there were very um, normal marriages and, and monogamous relationships between females. And so it's important that Paul speaks to this. In Romans chapter 1, 23 and 27, let me, let me say this also. Marriage is only mentioned in the Bible in a, in a heterosexual context. There is nowhere in the Bible. Again, I'm not, I'm not judging anybody. I'm not condemning anybody. I'm just saying what the Bible says. Marriage is only, only mentioned in a heterosexual context. So Paul says this in, in Romans 1, 23 through 27. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust in their hearts to impurity. Many people have asked me about the wrath of God. Someone made the statement that I don't really agree with Jamie when he says, um, when he says God is not mad at you, he's madly in love with you. And there's some scriptures that talk about the wrath of God is revealed amongst man and amongst those that don't believe. This Romans chapter one is the wrath of God. When you want to know what, we saw the wrath, the active wrath of God poured out on Jesus fully, all of his anger, all of his wrath, it happened to Jesus. That's why we can all be freed, restored, forgiven, cleansed. Come on, thank God. The the anger of God was settled at the cross. The the passive wrath of God, and if I can say it that way, is is that he, he, Romans 1 says they were, the wrath of God was revealed in this, and it says that they were turned over. God turned them over. Basically, here's the wrath of God. You want it? Oh, please. Oh, you want it? Oh, God, don't do it. You want it? Come on, this isn't what you want it. Oh, you want that? You want that? You want? Okay, have it. That's the wrath of God. Him actively turning you and I over when we're rebellious over and over and over and over and over saying, you want it? You got it. And so thank God for repentance. But this, so he says, therefore God gave them up to the lust of their own hearts to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. They became gods. That's what we want in our society. We want to be God. Who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations to those that are contrary to nature. And their men likewise gave up natural relations with, the na- with women and were consumed with passion for, other, for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men receiving themselves due penalty. Now listen to me. This, this scripture condemns everybody. This isn't about gay people. This is about straight people. This condemns straight people, gay people, Gentiles, all humanity. Romans 1 condemns all Gentiles. Romans 2 condemns all Jews. And Romans 3 says we all need Jesus. Come on, right? And so, and so this is, what this is doing is Paul is, is showing us that we all have a sin problem 
and it's encompassing, all-encompassing description and language, and he's speaking to all of these types of sexual perversions and sexual sins and, and, and disobediences and giving up God's way, create the creator's way for other desires and becoming God ourselves. It's important that he speaks to the female um, a perspective here because again like I said this was one of the the known there wasn't exploitive relationships and so Paul speaks to it here and says hey that's forbidden as well um, the homosexual or the LGBT community will argue with this passage here and say they gave up natural desires for that that was not natural and what they teach is that I was born gay and so since I was born this way that's my natural desire and so it would actually be sinful for me to give up that natural desire and go to, to an unnatural desire so what they're teaching, they teach that, that what Paul is saying, Paul calls it paraphysin. He's talking about a natural a desire, the nature. And so there's a thought of being born gay. And so if I give up that nature, then it's sin. Paul is not making an argument about giving up literal nature or the natural desire. He's making an argument about giving up the design of God, that we were designed by God. And so the context of the argument, you cannot separate what Paul's teaching about the design of God. I know you guys are looking at me, and I know some of y'all are going through all types of different emotions, and it's like, and, and, and I don't, listen, we got to be able to be real in church, and the, this is not a judgmental. It's not. I love every, people have asked me, are, are, I have many gay friends. I mean, I, I do. I, I, I love all people. I've got friends that are, that, are, that are living together and aren't married. I have friends that are gay. I have friends that have sex with 50 people and they shouldn't. And I try to figure out how to teach the gospel to them. And I, I have friends that go out and get hammered and, you know, and have way too much to drink. And, and I'm a friend of sinners. And so I think we're so nervous about this topic because we're not so friendly to sinners. That's why I'm not nervous about it because I, I love people and the people that are in my life know I love them. I think that's the key is us being able to hold the truth and live pure and holy in a way but then get around others that don't and not make them feel unloved or condemned in a way and watch Jesus do his work. And so Paul is, is, is condemning really all people. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral. So that's a lot of people, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor rivalers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. He's saying like a lot of people without Jesus are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And these things you can't keep practicing. But you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. He says, as such were some of you, you were but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Timothy 1, 9 through 11, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for sexually immoral, for men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else contrary sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed one, which I have been entrusted. So let me just say this. The New Testament is very clear about a sexual ethic. Marriage is designed by God to be inside of uh, male and female that have biological differences. Scriptures are clear what they say about homosexuality and sexuality. So where do we go from here? I would say this. We, have, we need to have a lot of conversations. Marriage is holy. The Bible says it's undefiled. It's between a man and a woman. The marriage bed is holy. And so there's a weird, re I don't know why we've picked on an LGBT community. What I would say is this. All sexual expression outside of God's order is sin. Pornography, strip clubs, sexual perversion, sex, 
sexual acts. Well, let me say this, not sex. My God, I repent, Lord. (laughs) Sex is good and godly, but sex and sexual acts before marriage. I I do counsel all the time. Well, what, what is sex? Like, how far can we go? You know what I mean? Like, like, okay, listen, like, it's, it's just, what's pure, right? Sex outside of your spouse, homosexuality, all these things. And let me say this, we all have a capability of living a disordered sexual life. You and I, all of us have sexual expressions that could be, could be practiced outside of God's order, and that is sin. Scripture, does, this is so important for you to hear, Scripture does not condemn people, Scripture does not condemn people for desires, You're like, wait a minute, what do you mean? So, so same-sex attraction desire is not sin. Just like people who are married that are straight that are gonna have desire for the opposite sex is not sin. It's important. Jesus was tempted in every way, but sinned in none. Temptation and desire are not sin. You have to hear this because Satan wants you to think your desires are sinful and now bring shame on you and bring all these condemnations on you. And now you begin to think that just because you had that desire, I have gay friends that are gonna desire the, op- the same sex the rest of their life. Isn't it funny how you get married and you don't stop desiring the opposite sex? If you will be honest in church. Desire is not sin. What you do with the desire is sin. How you, how you behave with the desire. And so my, in my life, I have accountability. I have partnership. I have friends. I have pastors. I do things in my life to protect myself from things that might be contrary to God's desire. And if the desire comes, I don't have to ignore it. I have to, to, to defeat it with the power of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? And so, so you know, you, those desires, same-sex attraction isn't a sin. It's just, what do you do with it? Just like a married couple that has desires, what do you do with it? I would say, we have to crucify the flesh, right? We're born again. So people say, well, I was born this way. I was born that way. Listen to me. It's not about how you were born. It's how you're bent. We're, we're all bent towards some type of sin, some type, type of, of situation in our life. And trauma and situations and how we grow up can reinforce those bents. But the reality is we're all bent, so we can get born again, and then we begin now, the sin is still present. Listen to me, it's present, but it has no power. We're not delivered from the presence of sin. We have a new creation, but sin is all around us. We have the power now to combat that. I hope I'm helping some of you today. Um, here, quick, quick thought, how do we navigate, how does someone navigate with same-sex orientation? I would, I, look, I know straight people that have gone celibate for the rest of their life to serve God. I know gay people that have gone celibate for the rest of their life to serve God. I'm not picking on one person. Come on, we know nuns and priests. They do it to serve God. I, I know, I've heard of and, and been told about um, people with same-sex orientation marrying one another, um, different, you know, so, so a lesbian marrying a gay man, being together, serving God, having children, not necessarily being sexually attracted, but being together the rest of their life serving God. It's, it's kind of wild, you know, but it's, it works for them. And so again, what does it look like? We gotta have a lot of conversations. Like the, this, the greatest fear I think of, of the LGBT community is this, is if I give up certain things in my life, I'll be alone forever. I know straight people that have gone celibate and they're the biggest, 
biggest partiers and the most fun people and the most interactive and have the most fellowship, you know, with people all, all, all around their community. And so I think that's why it's so important for the church not to mark people and not be judgmental and not be exclusive, but to include and love people where people can know, wow, there's a family. And if I decide to serve God, I'm not alone forever. And, and, and then also, we need to realize if we do give certain parts of our sexuality and those things to God and believe to give him our soul and our obedience there, that our life's going to be blessed. That he's going to bless us with obedience beyond what we can believe. I think that that's important. So scripture is clear. Scripture is clear for straight or gay people on the limits of our expression of sexuality. And I think it's important that we be faithful to scripture and lovingly encourage one another to live out the, the scriptures and the voice of God. I've got a few more minutes with you. Um, what does repentance look like and what does repentance not look like? So we've kind of given restriction when it comes to sex and no revelation. Restriction without revelation equals rebellion. So we've got it. Sex is great. Sex is good. Come on. Amen, somebody. In the context of marriage, you've all heard it. Fire is good in the fireplace. Burns the house down in the living room. So, so again, so... You know, we don't just need, we don't need to hear don't, 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 stop, don't, can't, just dirty, destructive, dirty, destructive. Because then if you do that, if you think that, what happens is you begin to suppress your desires. Can I tell you that when you suppress your desires, suppression will never get set you free? And, and, and hear this, remorse will never set you free. Here's what happens when you go into remorse. So I hate I did that, I hate I lived that way, I hate that, I hate that. Remorse, remorse has no power, so you have to eventually justify so when you're remorseful, we have a society of remorse and not repentance. So remorse is I have to justify. Repentance actually has power to serve and live for God. And so we don't want to suppress. We actually want to repent. We want to be honest. We want to say, you know what? There are destructive things about sex, but sex is wonderful and beautiful. And I'm going to enjoy it in the context of a, a beautiful marriage that God gives me. And I think the ultimate is, is if God's called you to be married, that's the pinnacle of, of God's mystery of creation is a husband and wife living out the mystery of the gospel on the planet. Can I so, so there's redemption. Let me just, again, say this. If you've lost your virginity, if you've messed up with a guy, girl, pornography, whatever, there's redemption. There's forgiveness. There's no shame. Shame is a work of the enemy. Shame is a tool of Satan. It doesn't mean you just continue in your sin. The Bible teaches sexual purity, chastity, and redemption. David was the worst sexual sinner in the Bible. Killed a man, took his wife, and, and it was a man after God's own heart, repented. But true repentance, what does repentance look like? Write this down. Psalms 51, that's repentance. David said, oh God, against you and you alone have I sinned. You don't want outward sacrifice. You don't want to look good on the outside. You want internal uh, conviction. You want something to change on the inside of me, oh God. And David begins to publicly repent. And this beauty of his repentance, it restores him to God. Can I say to you that repentance will restore you to God fully? Immediately and fully. The lie, there's a lie that sexual sin is not a big deal. We hear it all the time. Sexual sin is not a big deal. All sins equal. Can I tell you, that's not what the New Testament teaches. In, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, when you sin sexually, you sin against your own body. I'm talking to, I'm talking to all of us right now, okay? When, you sin, when we sin sexually, we sin against our own body. He says, don't you know your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit? Jesus says, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, you deserve to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the waters. There's different types of sin in Christendom. They're not all equal. 
And so sexual sin has these consequences. Think about Samuel. Samuel goes, he has such vice and such sin that it, and I'm going to talk about Joseph and I'm going to pray for you. Samuel is so addicted to sex with Delilah, he gets closer and closer and she keeps asking him, what's your strength? What's your strength? What's your strength? And the more and more he can't break away from that relationship, the closer he gets to giving up his strength and his strength isn't his hair, it's God. And he, and he forfeits the closeness of his relationship with God for sexual vice that he can't get out of. Literally, we see what happens. He gets his eyes gouged out. He gets taken. The, one of the most saddest verses in the Bible is when Samuel, it says, he went out as before to throw off the ropes, but he didn't realize God had left him. Can I tell you that repeated sexual sin over and over, unrepented sexual sin will destroy or damage your faith? And you'll get to a place eventually where you go out and you think all is fine and the same. And all of a sudden, God's power is not with you anymore. I'm not necessarily saying you've lost your salvation. That's a whole other topic. <laughs> but the reality is he ended up with his eyes gouged out, grinding grain in a circular fashion the rest of his life away from his family. It's what sin does. It's what sexual sin does over and over and over. We get in this cyclical fashion. So how do we defeat it? I think we defeat it by the way Joseph defeated it. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, Joseph did some interesting things. You know the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Um, just some real practicals. We defeat it through the power of the Holy Spirit, through what we believe, and through obedience. Through obedience. Not suppressing, but through obedience. Joseph resisted. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Joseph resisted Potiphar's wife. And then he removed himself from her. He got out of what room she was in. And then eventually he ran. Resist, remove, and run. Romans 6, 11, it says this. This verse will help you with your foundation on your relationship with God and sexual temptation and any temptation. Romans 6, 11, you are dead to sin and alive to God. I'm dead to sin and I'm alive to God. So, so sin's still around, but it has no power. You as a believer, if you've given your life to Jesus, you can peel that stuff off. You can walk in purity and repentance and the call of God in your life. And I think, again, like I said, the Bible teaches redemption above all things. So if you've messed up, man, don't, listen, there's no condemnation. I'm giving you Bible today. If you don't agree with me, you don't agree with Jesus. That's all I have to say. I mean, I, if, you don't, if you don't agree with me, I love you. And you have friends, and I have friends, and we have friends. But I think it's an hour. We are Jesus' fiance. And, and I think the hour in the church that, that Jesus wants a, a pure fiance and I, and I just think that God wants us to be real with who he is and what he said. And I think the tension is us to hold the gospel and the truth and love those that are walking contrary in such a light and fashion that people see, oh, wow, there's something powerful and something freeing in how they live. So I love y'all. Let me pray for us real quick. Father, I thank you for your church. Thank you for your bride. Jesus, I thank you that, we, that we're not perfect, but we're yours. And that, Lord, that we could walk in repentance, Lord, any, of any area. Lord, not just one people group, but, Lord, all of us would have a clear sexual purity and a sexual expression that's meant and lived for you and your glory alone. Lord, you do it. Listen, I'm not putting rules and regulations on us today. Lord, you have to work this by your power. Holy Spirit, thank you for working repentance in my life and in our life. We want to walk out of here and live righteous and in right standing with you. And I believe, God, there's a power that's coming on your church as we walk in purity and holiness and repentance and acceptance of what 
another with the truth of the gospel, God. Let this place be a beacon of hope and life, God. Not a place that says, oh, well, that's judgmental or that's, that's, too, that's not culturally relevant. God, we want to be biblically strong. Father, we thank you that you've forgiven us of all of our sins and situations. Continue to help us to forgive one another and look to you for strength and the power of the Holy Spirit to continue to set us free day in and day out. Let us leave here different today in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. I hope that helped. hope that helped. If you need prayer for anything, listen, our, our ministry team is going to be down here. You might need prayer. Maybe, let me just say this real quick. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you've just suppressed and tried to live by willpower, tried to live by your own strength. And you know you need to be right with God today. These guys are down here to pray with you and say, you know what? I'd love to give you a chance to pray and give your life to Jesus. Maybe this is your day for that. We don't always do it at the end like that. I know you're looking around. Look, it's okay. Lunch is going to be there. Maybe today somebody in here needs to give their life to Christ. Maybe you're sitting with somebody that knows they need to give their life to Christ. And maybe after we dismiss, you just say, hey, I'll go down with you. Do you need to pray to give your life to Christ? Maybe you just need prayer for, for shame to come off of you. Or maybe you need to repent. I don't know. These, these ministry team leaders will be down here. They'd love to pray with you. And then, and then listen, if you're a guest with us, I know this is a little different today. Can we give our guests another hand? Thanks for being with us. It's a little bit different. <clears throat> I love y'all. We got a gift for you out at our guest area. We'd love to put that in your hands. And then thank you for your generosity, church. The life change story you saw in Will West is because of your generosity. Thank you for giving here and believing for life change in people's lives. So have an amazing day. You can give online. Box us by the door. I love y'all. Come on, let's live for Jesus. Thank you for listening to another Transformation Church sermon podcast. If you would like someone to pray with you, or if you would like some ministry materials, please email us at hello at transformationchurch.us.